welcome everybody to episode 40 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me as always is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. How you doing, Dan? Hey, hey, hey. Doing good, Bo. How you doing? I'm not too bad. A little tired, but uh, but not too bad. Um, there's some new information out about the, the, the lab leak hypothesis or what has been referred to in the media for the last year as the lab leak theory or hoax. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we can touch on conspiracy that. theory. I yeah. got a dictionary page opened right now. <laughs> um, so there's been some new information that's come out and it, it, it seems as if uh, enough pressure has built that even uh, Mr. President Biden himself has come out and said that um, in essence, uh, a new study needs to be done um, that does a deep dive into the origins of it, even if that includes, uh, and that they're, they're going to look into the possibility that uh, the lab leak theory hypothesis is um, legitimate. So that's uh, that's a pretty crazy about face. It really is an encouraging one, I must say. Yeah. Yeah. I hesitate to say encouraging. I don't know. It, the reason I hesitate is because like it's OK. So, so first off, yes, it's like it's nice that the government and people that who have power and you're supposed to listen to are like, oh, wait a minute. Like maybe this is a legitimate thing so we can like move forward and see if it actually is because it it could just be that just a hypothesis that's proved wrong. And we move on. Um, yeah. But that's the, for people that keep saying, trust the science, let's do some science. Yeah, exactly. That's how that works. <laughs> and the, the problem that I have, though, is that like for an entire year, it wasn't that the people who did science were like, nope, all the science points to this being wrong. That's not what the narrative was. The narrative was this is a conspiracy theory, mostly perpetuated by Trump Trump and Trump supporters and crazy right wingers. And it's emphatically false and everything else is what's actually true or potentially true. And it was just dismissed as a conspiracy. Um, and to talk about it made you crazy. Yep. It was it, people, with, you know, the, what they call it Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah. And the, you know, orange man bad. So if he says it, it must be the exact opposite. And which is ridiculous, of course. Well, sure. And hey, don't Trump all you want. That's fine. I, I'm in agreement with that. I don't really like him. But um, to dismiss something because of that is, and not even consider as an option is is the problem. I don't actually care if, where the damn thing originated from. Like we're at, what, 6 million or 7 million deaths already globally? Um, like that isn't – that's not going to change whether we – if we know that it came you know, from animals or it came from a – a gain of function lab it's like or from gain of function research in a in a virology lab like it's still people are still dying um yeah it, it's the fact that the, it's the narrative control it's like for a year this was pushed as this crazy conspiracy and now there's just about face and it's like so i have some encouragement but mostly i have skepticism i'm like why the fuck should i listen to you at all about anything um yeah like it's very clear that i don't know anything about the science I know exactly as much as every other normal American does because I'm not a scientist and I don't care to read the data and it's confusing and it, like, it's not my forte. But it doesn't seem unreasonable to me to entertain that notion until it's been proven false. 
just like I would well, entertain you know, every other notion about where that's it the came thing from. right there. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right, and like, there's a common misconception that um, it's not the job of science to prove things true; it's the job of science to prove things false. And after you prove everything false that you possibly can, the thing that's left over tends to be the truth. Yeah. But the the when when science is being practiced, it is actively attempting to disprove as much as it possibly can. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's it's important to realize that that you know when when some, when you're doing good science, you accept every possibility and you work to disprove it. That's that's how hypothesis works. Um, and I, I want to touch on just because it is really important, and, and the media fucks it up so bad. Um, the difference between a theory and a hypothesis is immense and very 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 important. Um, a hypothesis is what most people think of when you hear the terms hypothesis or theory. Um, it's an idea about how something works that doesn't necessarily have any evidence yet or hasn't been disproven. or anything. It's just the idea. It's like, hey, this, this, given what we know, this might be how this works. I have this hypothesis. Let's try to prove it wrong. Uh, and that's the falsification portion of doing science. A theory, on the other hand, is what's left over mm -hmm. after you hammer on an idea, you hammer on a hypothesis, and falsify as much as you possibly can the thing left over that, to the best of our current knowledge, is the way this the system actually works, this thing, whatever it is we're looking at, um, that becomes the theory. Until it's proven um, empirically Until it's true. proven wrong. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like the, the theory of gravity. Yeah. Um, if you think of that in terms of, oh, it's, you know, theoretical, it's like a hypothesis of gravity. No, it's, it, they've been banging on that idea for decades and decades and decades now, and it always points to the same direction with some refinements, of course, but to the point that we can launch a robot into space and slingshot it around other planets to get it to arrive when and where we intended to. You have to have an intensely accurate understanding of that system being gravity mm -hmm. um, in order to pull something like that off yeah. right so just you know the, the theory of gravity a theory is the the highest level of certainty that you have about anything in science that's as high as it gets the hypothesis is just the idea the theory is the best that we know to date yep. uh, definitely not interchangeable so you know there is no lab leak theory it can't be. There's not even, it, it just doesn't, like there's not enough time and enough evidence to prove it one way or the other. So there is no theory yet. There's just hypotheses. Mm -hmm. um, got an idea, you know, might've come from a lab, might've come from a bat, might've come from a wet market. These are all hypotheses. And then the scientist's job is to attempt to disprove all that. And then what is, whatever's left over may end up becoming the theory for how it happened. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very important distinction that I, I really wish more people paid attention to. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I also think too, that I wish that people would, along with making that distinction, they would, they would make the distinction between someone bringing forth a hypothesis 
and then being married to that idea. Yes. And what I mean by that is that like, just because someone brings forth a hypothesis about something doesn't mean that, well, it just means that it's a hypo that that's just a question. It doesn't mean that that should not determine anything else about that individual, like whatsoever. And the fact that it's false also should not determine something about that individual because people should be able to bring forth hypotheses um, and then correct them and change them because they find out they're wrong. Um, and I feel like that's something that happens too, is like, we talked a bit about how like uh, the Trump derangement syndrome and a lot of the narrative in the media was that if people had this conspiracy theory, cause that's what the, mostly what it was called. Um, you were clearly far writers mm -hmm. and stuff. And then, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, Brett Weinstein on the, on the podcast and um, he was one of the earlier proponents of this. And he's about, I think he's about as progressively left as you can get while still staying away from the, um, the, the toxic far left critical race theorist, um, anti-racist, uh, uh, types, you know, he, right. he would prefer to live in the woods. He's a biologist who likes to study animals. I don't think he's ever voted for a conservative. I mean, you can just go down the list of all the progressive shit and he's all of them. And then plus a little bit, I think he voted for Bernie like six years ago or whatever, eight years ago. And so like, and he's like every, his whole thing was like everything else that all the data that we're seeing about how this originated is just slowly being falsified. And the only thing that's been remaining is the one hypothesis that the media and the, the, the experts, the so-called experts, um, refuse to acknowledge as being a serious hypothesis, which is the, the lab leak. And he's like, my, I don't care if it's wrong. I just, what pisses me, he's like, what pisses me off is that no one's considering it. This isn't how science works. Exactly. You know, it's like, yes. and then he gets labeled a far writer, you know, this, uh, this crazy right wing conspiracy theorist. And it's like, hey, that's funny. You know, <laughs> um, so I mean, Red, he keeps getting that. <laughs> I know. Right. It's interesting. Um, I think I talked about this like many, many podcasts ago and I, I forget all the numbers, but um, I, I listened to someone who uh, he was like the, the director of like the, um, a museum of physics or something like the National Museum of Physics or some shit. And he talked about um, some interesting things about uh, how physics has evolved over the over uh, the the centuries and stuff. And he said that what a lot of people don't realize is that like gravity is an example, um, isn't a fixed thing. Like we think of it as like it, it's it, it's fixed. It's a certain speed, like the terminal velocity with which you fall is a certain speed. But that his point was that that speed has changed over time. Like 75 years ago, it was a little bit slower than it was now. And then that was the theory. The theory of gravity was that it fell at X speed. And then they started to refine their process and they were able to fight, figure out that it actually, you actually fall faster or slower. I forget which one now. Um, and, but just because somebody came up with that theory and found that speed doesn't mean that that's who they are as a person. Like no one's like the person who thought that was a, you know, was an idiot. Like, right. you know, or it w was very clearly like a Republican. It's like, no, no, like, <laughs> like he just, he or she, most likely a he, but th they just decided that this is what we found with evidence. And then if it changes, then it changes. Like this isn't, I'm a worse physicist if this is wrong. It just means we have either, maybe I did something wrong and I can tweak it, or maybe we over time have new technology to find new things out, you know, um, 
Well, dude, all of the best scientists that I've uh, been exposed to or whatever, um, they look to be wrong. They want to be proven wrong because that's how you learn stuff. Yeah. Like if, if I have an idea about something and I get proven wrong, that means I'm upgrading my knowledge about the actual events or the actual uh, the happenings. Um, it, that's a good thing because a true scientist is not looking for, you know, the ego boost or a political bump or any of that. They're just looking for truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Not to say that, you know, scientists are human and, and that, of course, comes in. But the the principle of you know doing science is just looking for the uh, an accurate description of actuality. Yeah. This is how something works. And we want to know that we don't want to know uh, what is the Republican version of this. Uh, yeah. That's not science. Um, yeah. We need more pure science. I uh, just had an interesting analogy that popped into my head. Um, the scientists you're referring to that they're, they, they stress test. That's mm-hmm. what, that's the point. Right. And so in my yeah. mind, I see this dichotomy between um, very physical stress test, martial arts. So jujitsu, Sambo, judo, wrestling, and then the, the more traditional martial arts that were popularized, let's say, in the 70s in America, that don't yeah. they don't stress test anymore. They just stick to what they know. They don't practice their kumites or their uh, sparring. And then they have death touches and all this shit. <laughs> and they're in little echo chambers. And in my head, those are, that's the parallel to actual scientists and the people we hear in the news who are scientists, but are as far as I can tell, actually worthless. <laughs> I, I actually don't feel bad mm-hmm. saying that it, um, from an armchair, I give a fuck, but, um, it seems to me that they, they intentionally don't engage with tough ideas because it may ruin their, their perception of their expertise. And so they, they will peddle whatever ideas they need in order to gain um, what nowadays is only really political power. Like that's part of the problem is it's only become a political issue, a political power issue, but power nonetheless. And that's why I think you see the head was Dr. Fauci as an example, um, or any of the other, uh, the head of the CDC and a few other of these, you know, powerful, powerful doctors um, push these narratives that are like very clearly not stress tested. And they could be right, but that's irrelevant. The relevancy isn't about the rightness of it. It's it's about you need to be able to consider and test different ideas. Like, period. It doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, that's Unfortunately, the, that is politically inconvenient. No, yeah, very, very true. It's lazy. You know, it's like, well, I'm trying to think of a good martial arts example. Like, if you're really good at kicking, you know, but you don't spar and stress test different things. It doesn't matter if you could kick someone so hard that you end a fight, right? What matters is that you stress test different positions. So you, you need to, to fight people so that you can get better at things. Um, so it, it's irrelevant of your, your, your ability, your, the power, right? And so um, I, I think this may be a bit of a, of a stretch, but it seems to me that 
to tie it back into what we were talking about a few weeks ago about Gordon Ryan and his complaints about the rest of the martial arts world or the jujitsu world is it strikes me as kind of similar in that it doesn't matter if like you're Andre Galvao's and uh, um, the other world champions that I'm drawing blanks on that um, are known for after they're done with their uh, camps before worlds, they take a break after the worlds and then they let themselves go and then they don't train and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't matter yeah. that they're really good and that they can still beat everyone's ass. That doesn't make them professionals the same way that Gordon Ryan or uh, um, the rest of the squad are professionals because they're not doing it right. They're not, they're not taking in all of the, um, the stress testing that they could be to actually have a better grasp on the sport and the art. Right. Yeah. Um, and those are two separate things. And, and they're very similar in some regards because you have world class athletes who are outperforming everybody, even if they only do it three months out of the year. But there's a whole host of difference between that and someone who is constantly always testing everything all of the time. And those are yeah. not those are not the same thing. And um, that applies to science and to everything else too like you know we're not going to get the best results as a community as a, as a society if we have people who refuse to constantly stress test we're going to get just good enough until it's no longer good enough and then we're fucked you know i, I think that that's yeah. right and, and and then at that point if real scientists aren't allowed to stress test we're not going to be able to solve those problems you know, Correct. and um, we could probably we could go into a history lesson about scientists who've been persecuted throughout throughout time because they challenge conventional wisdom, and then you run into problems. And then over time, those people were looked back at, and then science was re revised to to fit their um, what they discovered. You know, the one that comes to mind is the. Um, the orbiting of the earth around the sun versus everything orbiting around the earth. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I forget the fellow who did that, but I think he was like in prison for the rest of his life for, for going against the, say, is it Copernicus? Is that, I, I was just going to yeah. say Copernicus. That's the first one. I'm thinking yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that he was like exiled by the church and he might even have been killed. I don't know. I can't remember, but, um, and then, uh, you have others, I think, uh, Newton, Newton or Da Vinci, one of the two was, lived in exile for like the last 30 years of his life because he went against the church about how um, science worked. And it's like, they didn't have a lot of progress because they didn't listen. And then after time they realized, Oh fuck, the stuff we were doing doesn't work anymore. So we should probably listen um, because yeah. they're right. Or they're at least just cl closer to right than we were. Um, now we're in a, an advanced technological age where those mistakes can compound into something larger Um and can cause le legitimate global issues. Like this pandemic is a good example. We've wasted a year not entertaining an idea that could be true. So that, that's, that's, an, that's an additional year. And maybe it's false. Who cares? But by not entertaining it, we don't entertain all the, all well, the, I all care. the options. So let's falsify it. How this <laughs> like, yeah. and, and then what happens is this is another year in which the virus could mutate into something way worse that we can't control. And then we're stuck with a permanent pandemic where it's seasonal and we have to get booster shots once every four months, or we have to wear masks for the rest of our, the foreseeable lives and be on permanent lockdown and all this kind of shit. Like these are things like politicians are literally talking, scientists are literally talking about. 
it's like, yeah, maybe this all could have been solved a year ago had we entertained this option. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just full of shit and nothing would have changed. I don't know. Um, maybe the blame lies elsewhere. Maybe the blame lies with how Trump handled the initial start of the pandemic. I don't know. But just because it seems far un, like unrealistic doesn't mean you don't consider it. Well, for sure. I mean, given the fact that um, the vaccines were developed as fast as they were, with that level of technology at hand, I am very confident that the actual origin could have been discovered within 12 months. That, that seems highly likely if the appropriate resources were actually put in place. Yeah. Like if, you know, in the magic world of no politics, get rid of all that, and it was just the scientists trying to figure out the question of where the hell this came from. Yeah, I think we could figure that out in 12 months. Yeah. But the politics got in the way, and, and they continued to do so, um, which, you know, historically, as you mentioned, has often been the case. So nothing new there, uh, but it's just a shame that we, you know, the, the opportunity cost of all of that, that the lack of study for 12 months on what potentially is the origin of this, mm -hmm. and instead flipping that into all this political nonsense, um, who knows? I mean, that 12 months difference, maybe when the next pandemic comes, which it most certainly will, um, that would have put us in a better place to understand the next one. Yes. Right. If we had 12 months of work figuring out, um, holy shit, this actually did come from nature. Crazy as it was, but we ended up falsifying the lab leak and we discovered this mechanism that allowed it to make the jump. Uh, therefore, we know this much more about these types of viruses yeah. so they can plan ahead for the next one. That shit didn't happen. No, um, and then, you know, like I said, that's that's the opportunity cost that that we lose out on from yeah. all this political bullshit. That's definitely the big key. It's like you may ask, well, does really figuring looks like I mentioned earlier, like people are still dying. So on some level, it doesn't really matter how it evolved um, or where it came from. But on another level, it actually is very important. And you kind of hit it on the head. It's whenever there's these kinds of problems that scientists are always looking for ground zero, like patient zero. And as far as I understand, the reason they do that is because if they can figure out who was first infected, not only can they figure out where they were infected, how, but how at like a DNA level, like a micro level, where they can say, okay, this is how everything occurred because of this specific person in whatever they came in contact with. So they know exactly how things work. And that, uh, that makes it that much easier for them to, like you said, stop the next one that may function similarly, but it also allows them to update and um, improve vaccinations and other treatments to stop future mutations. Like there's a whole host of things that this can solve. And if they were able to, in 12 months, figure that out, then who knows how many lives we could have saved? I don't know. And so, yeah, very, it's very important. I, I think the big thing is, um, is the future lives. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I mean, this is certainly going to happen again. And to see how bad globally this was fumbled, um, with particular emphasis on the United States and China. Yes. But globally, pretty much everyone fucked this up. 
New Zealand did a pretty solid job. I think that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they were. They oh, no, I, I didn't. Uh, Taiwan locked down super quick. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taiwan. So there's a couple that did okay, but. And I think Israel did a good this, job this of a, at least vaccinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Israel did a good job of at least yeah, vaccinating. They got vaccinations out quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, very, very interesting and unfortunate that for whatever reason, politics decided to or seemingly decided to dictate the direction that um, we went as a society towards solving this problem. And, and I, I blame both the left and the right for this. Like you can blame Trump all you want for the problems that he created with this and fair enough, but it doesn't seem to me that anything m- much has changed with um, since Biden's taken office either. Like they're only until recently um, what with this kind of stuff. And so it's like, why, why, why is this driving the narrative? I mean, as near as I can tell, the only reason that there's, a strong push right now to investigate the lab leak hypothesis is because apparently three doctors in the Wuhan lab, um, or the hypothesis is that the the, the COVID came out of, um, exhibited you know, quote unquote COVID like symptoms in November of 2019, which would make them by far the earliest, if, if it is COVID, um, by far the earliest. Um, uh, recorded symptoms and that just adds fuel. And so there's been enough fuel now, I oh, guess, to there? the fire that Biden himself is like, okay. we need to invest. Yep. Still here. Um, and so, sorry, go ahead. It's like, if, if we finally got enough information to at least have the government credibly look into that. Um, but, and that's the other thing too, is that like China hasn't really been very forthcoming with anything. It, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why no one's surprised by this. Like I'm not surprised by this at all, but it's, um, you know, it's like they've done nothing. And so I don't know how this, and I actually couldn't figure out how people found out about the three doctors, but they did. It, it's become a slightly big, um, issue now in the news. And so here we go. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that too. All I've heard is, uh, intelligence sources say that these three doctors got sick. Um, yeah, I'd be very interested to hear how that bit of information came out. But if you, if you look at some of the elements of this, I mean, it's it's certainly no surprise in the sense that um, we're we're dealing with a communist regime in China, yep. and historically, the only way you can get communism to work in whatever way it does, which isn't really working, but you know, they're they're kind of. <laughs> sort of figuring it out. Um, but if you're, if you're running a communist regime, historically, that's going to require, um, you know, a bunch of lies, a suppression of information, controlling the press, you know, all that stuff. Uh, there, and, and that, of course, is what China has done and is doing in terms of uh, not being forthcoming with their information and whatnot. So we're, we're dealing with a communist regime, so there's no real trust in the information that could be coming from them. So that's one aspect. Yeah. And then, of course, the fact that we are intertwined in the sense that um, Fauci's group through, um, I think the Eco Alliance was the name of it, funded the Wuhan Institute. And Fauci's doing his little tap dance in saying very, very particularly, you know, oh, we funded him, but it was only this much and it wasn't for gain of function. 
or it wasn't for this virus. Like all these specific things that you can tell he's dancing around the truth as though he were under oath. Um, so that points to a conflict of interest. You know, Dr. Fauci is tied to uh, the Wuhan Institute financially. Okay, yep. that's a thing. Um, Fauci himself has admitted to lying to the public regarding uh, you know early days as far as saying that masks weren't useful um, and, and claiming that it was for everyone's good because there was a shortage, so we need the healthcare workers to actually have access to those masks. But he admitted to lying. So we, we know that he is willing to lie for what he perceives is uh, the public good or mm -hmm. whatever. So that, that trust is broken as well. Uh, again, there's, there's financial entanglement. All of these uh, extenuating circumstances that point to a lack of trust as far as what anybody involved with this is saying so far. And these are all things that are incredibly anti-science yes because it's now you're putting political weight on on a search for truth um so that it puts us in a very precarious position because the the trust with institutions for most people i think is completely broken now you can go all the way to the extreme of the you know mega fake news uh and and whatever the equivalent is on the, the far left or just a general, reasonable, intelligent person going, well, everybody's proven to be lying, so how can we actually trust any of this stuff? I mean, unless we go out and actually collect the data ourselves and do that research, you know, we have to believe what these people are telling us, but if we don't trust them, how good is that? And what happens with that is it opens the door for all of these alternate, either a little sketchy or full-on crackpot ideas that, based on the fact we no longer trust the people that are telling us from the, our institutions, it makes these other people just as reasonable sounding. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, if I can't trust Fauci, I mean, this guy says Q told him something interesting, so might as well believe that too. It just opens that possibility of... Uh, either intentionally or unintentionally disinforming people, right? I mean, you could, you know, somebody just have a bad idea, like, a, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know off the top of my head, but some kind of, you know, crackpot idea that they just feel might be the way it happened. Or you could have people that are very intentionally taking advantage of this situation and the, the gullibility of whatever percentage of people that are online to push out bad ideas, you know, either for their entertainment or just to disrupt the trust even further mm -hmm. and create general chaos. Um, and, and that's what's happening. So we, we need people that we can trust and the people that we thought we could trust have proven untrustworthy. So we're kind of spinning our wheels looking for what the fuck actually happened. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know how we fix that. Yeah. I'm not really sure either. I, I I think you make a good point, though. Like what you're describing, I think, is in part because um, this is a multivariate issue, but um, it's in part what the problem that Trump exploited when he became president. And what I mean is that, yes, the apparent reasonable people, so we'll just call them the left because for the 
in terms of talking about Trump, we'd be referring to the left here. Um, it's clearly been lying. And so throughout Trump's presidency, he exploited that, in, in, among other things. But by saying crazy <clears throat> shit that people were like, well, everyone else is lying. So what he's saying isn't that unreasonable. Yep. You know, and then you have um, a slightly similar, I think, situation in something like uh, what's her face? The uh, um, what's the the QAnon senator, uh, Marjorie, Marjorie Green, Taylor Green. Oh, Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Where she's like saying all this crazy stuff. And like some of us who are reasonable are like, you're fucking weird. You know, because she's weird. <laughs> but yeah. apparently like her donations and stuff, the money that she's made after like saying crazy shit has just skyrocketed and democrats are freaking out because they're like she's raising all this money how is it she's saying all this crazy conspiracy stuff and i think it's the reason you're pointing to it's that the people on the other side who are quote-unquote reasonable and experts are clearly full of shit and so when she says stuff that's also very clearly full of shit to like someone like me they're like i don't know what to believe i don't like democrats i'm a republican or she's from my state or that seems just as plausible so you know, fuck the system. I'm going there because there's a lot of people who, and I think rightly, have a healthy skepticism of the government. Because I actually have a healthy skepticism of the government, and the the fact that a lot of the people from the government are clearly lying and have admitted to it, or haven't, but are clearly lying, just makes me even more skeptical. I don't like the government very much, pretty much ever, no matter what they do. Um, <laughs> I'm a little more extreme with that than I think most, but I, I think that having healthy skepticism of the government's a good thing. And if you, you get that with people you don't like and they're lying and that's shit, you're like, well, I'm just going to listen to the person that has equally far-fetched ideas, but I at least believe that they believe what they're talking about. And that doesn't excuse them from believing crazy <clears throat> things necessarily. It's just that you're going to have people who will do that. And then you have all these, this support for crazy QAnon conspiracy theories or whatever else. And it's like, that's the thing in part, how that stuff comes about is that there's not really any other better narrative right now. And yeah, it's like, that's the fault of the people who push those things. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want to, um, to, to, to pull blame from the people who are pushing these, these kinds of harmful things. But at the same time, it's also on, it's also on, the people who allow that to happen. Like, I don't like this example in, in this instance, but it works. It's like the parent is also to blame when the kid knocks over the spilled milk because the parent clearly put the milk in a position where the, the four-year-old could get to it. Right. Right. I know the reason I don't like it is I don't like comparing <clears throat> Democrats and power as parents, but they often <laughs> portray themselves as the reasonable, moral, morally righteous and virtuous ones. And so that, in this analogy, makes them the parent and not the kid because they're the ones who are self-aware, know right from wrong and all that kind of stuff and are going to make stupid mistakes. And so if they're going to take that, then they should have the responsibility. They should bear the responsibility of allowing these kinds of situations. And so by making these lying about this kind of shit and, and like very clearly misleading the public, you create situations where other people, fringe people, were going to come about and say, well, they're clearly lying to you like, you know, I'm not going to lie. I may spout crazy theories that, but at least I'm not lying about them. I may not know if they're actually true, but I'm, I'm, I believe it's true. So I'm, it's not a lie. Yeah. And well, I think that there's an uh, important piece of this in how tribalism affects sense making. Yeah. So if you 
if you have a series of institutions that are well trusted, right? So we, we've got scientists, we've got doctors, we've got smart people looking into this stuff. So when we need to know what's going on, we ask them and they tell us, and we're like, okay, cool, thanks. Now we know what's going on. Um, that's, that's how the system's supposed to work. However, when the trust is broken with the institutions as it is now, people still need to make sense of the world. Well, fuck, if I can't trust the people that are supposed to be smart, who can I trust? And by default, human beings are going to gravitate towards people in their tribe, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, people that look like me, people that talk like me. Okay, they get me. All right, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. Um, like, for example, if you took Marjorie Taylor Greene and dropped her anywhere in the Midwest, she's going to be right at home, right? Yeah. She, she very much has the vibe of uh, rural Midwest white woman. And there are a ton of rural Midwest white women that vote. Yeah. So if, if there's a lack of trust in the institutions, well, who am I going to believe? Hey, Marjorie's just like me. Yeah, she's making sense. Exactly. And that just reinforces the, you know, the tribalism and how that affects the spread of ideas. Now we magnify that by orders of magnitude with the uh, uh, technological advances we made in information sharing, meaning social media. Um, the ability to create echo chambers, the attraction of echo chambers because you can't trust anyone but at least these people are like me so we're gonna we're gonna pull together and figure this out um and it just it it codifies this split and unwillingness to hear other ideas from other people and and essentially search for the actual truth not your truth not my truth the truth the objective truth which uh, absolutely is a thing, and it's what's left over when you remove all of the other human elements. You move someone's opinion, you move any of their, remove any of their demographics, uh, you know, remove their history, all of the, the, the things that would make you suspect of, you know, who's telling you a thing. Well, this person that is nothing like them whatsoever, this uh, PhD in India, and this woman in China and this guy in Czechoslovakia all agree mm -hmm. that, you know, the facts X, Y, and Z are, are how something works. So you can remove that personal element of, well, you know, that doctor's Republican, so I can't believe him, you know. Uh, and that's kind of how it's supposed to work. But when you silo everyone off in their echo chambers and nobody is willing to, you know, A, listen to other people regardless of, of their politics, but just to hear them out as a hypothesis uh, worth entertaining. And to, to allow people to investigate things without investing their, their, uh, their personal ego into it, yeah. right? I think it was Einstein who said it is the a sign of an enchanted mind, one that can hold two opposing thoughts in their mind without subscribing to either. Yes. Um, but that's like completely antithetical to our instincts as you know, tribal social creatures. Um, but it's necessary to get to 
the objective truth when you remove all of those human factors. And I, I think we're going in the exact wrong direction with that. And that's, that's the problem, Bo. We got to solve this problem. <laughs> I, yeah, so I, 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 I think it, there. no, no, it's good. I, um, I agree that we need to solve the problem. I, I think, I actually personally think it comes back to power. That's what I think it is. Um, okay. And I don't necessarily want to go off on a, on, on a tangent about critical race theory. We haven't talked about it in some time, which I've been happy with because reading a lot about of it, a lot about it is, uh, is actually quite draining. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's very, very intense, very demoralizing, but one of the fundamental core tenets of woke ideology, let's say, um, critical race theory, intersectionality, anti-racism, whatever, is power. Everything is a battleground for power, um, which is uh, in part, I believe, a Marxist idea. Um, and so that's what there is. And I, I think that that is what we're seeing is that you you're having, you know, and people want power naturally, whether they're, they subscribe to woke ideology or they subscribe to the opposite of that. Um, and we've talked a bit about how like Republicans is an example in the seventies with uh, Newt Gingrich is the, the main uh, leader of that um, changed how the political game was played mm -hmm. in an effort to essentially uh, obtain power. Right. And this is like a brief recap for those listening, because um, I don't have all those specific details, but I know some brief ones. Essentially, you know, politicians would play a game and it was a reciprocal game where there was a tit for tat and you tried to keep things at about in the middle as you could to help the most number of people. And you give me something and I'll give you something and then there will be a back and forth and there was less animosity, um, just like you would in a in a fair game on the street with kids right um the team that could win by abusing the rules a little bit didn't abuse the rules they just played so that everyone could continue to play over time which is actually how you want to play a game by the way um but in the 70s republicans decided uh, broadly that um there were things that they could do to win the game that weren't really against the rules but they were against the spirit of the game Right. And so to give like an example in, 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 a, in any kind of a game, like in basketball or in football or in soccer, maybe being a little bit physical when you shouldn't, you know, holding in football when the ref wasn't looking or um, NFL's famous football is famous for uh, what goes on inside of a like inside of a, um, a pileup when there's a fumble, you know, biting and kicking and, you know, grabbing nuts and squeezing that kind of shit like all stuff that's actually illegal but the ref can't see and so um this is what the republicans did and and then they started to slowly gain more and more power and it's why you you you've seen them pretty much dominate uh um the government for the last like 50 years um, if you look at elections and senate control and who's been president and who's been um who's controlled the congress and all that it's almost it's been very much more republicans than democrats for a long time and um, and you see the leftists doing that now, and, but it's a power game. So people do want power, but when it's the only thing that you focus on, then you are willing to do whatever it takes to get power because power corrupts and power corrupts absolutely. And so I think that's what we're falling into is this situation where uh, um, the ideologies are different, 
the beliefs are different, but the end goal is the same. And the end goal is the power. And uh, there's no room for sensible people in that game um, at at all, you know. uh, Agree. And and there's myriad examples of people who've tried to offer um, diverse opinions or thoughts in um, in situations that have been excommunicated simply for attempting to bring them up, you know, and uh, which is a, that's, that's a problem. You know, and I, I think that uh, it, it's unfortunate that that, that game, and I could be wrong on this, but I, I think that in part, I'm correct that it's a power issue. Um, you know, we're, we're losing millions of lives worldwide as a result of this problem. Yeah, yeah, no, you hit it right on. And I really wish that it was more well known the significance of Newt Gingrich and how he changed the American political game. Um, the the analogy that comes to mind for me is the Tim Ferriss story with the kickboxing, right? Yeah. Um, and I forget the exact details. He trained for six months or six weeks or something. But the idea is Tim Ferriss, um, and listeners probably know who he is. He's pretty famous. But he took up a a Chinese kickboxing, I believe it was. Yes. um, Trained for a very short period of time, went to compete, and um, won that event. He won, like, the world championships. Yeah, yeah. Won the world championship against people that, you know, trained their whole lives and, and take it very seriously. And the way he was able to do that is he exploited a a loophole in the rules, right? Mm-hmm. If someone goes out of bounds three times, they're disqualified. So he was just pushing people out of bounds. And technically, it's not against the rules. So he won. But he's not a true champion in the sense that any competitor would respect. Uh, he just found that loophole. That was Newt Gingrich. He took the gloves off, found some loopholes, and started playing dirty, Yeah, which technically was not against the rules but changed the game uh in a in a way that you know we're still feeling today and it has removed any of the uh you know looking out for the other guy and you know we're we're doing this for the right reasons we want to do what's right for the most people or any of that mess now it's just power well we're here to win yeah and i can give a a very uh recent a couple of very recent examples of what it is you're talking about and how it's because it's it manifested with him in the 70s and then it's progressed to now where um when they came about people were pretty angry but it's been happening for so long that it wasn't like this as big of a shock as i think it should have been but with the um denial of a hearing or a vote on judge merrick garland for Supreme Court justice when Obama was president. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal. And then the subsequent um, rushed process of Amy Coney, Comey, Coney Barrett um, into the Supreme Court nomination before Trump left. Um, like that's a very clear abuse of Republican power in both those, because it was Republicans who did both of those things. They were mm-hmm. able to not s- sit down with and then vote on Merrick Garland. And then they were able to, because they had control of the Senate, uh, I believe it's who that needed, I think it was the Senate that needs to do that. And then they ha- had control of the Senate with Amy Coney Barrett. So they sat down and then passed and got her elect, um, uh, nom- uh, nominated Supreme Court. Um, that sort of thing 
is not against the rules, but it's against the spirit of the rules, which is that you know, yes. we should we should all govern um, equitably, equally, how, however you want to break that down, so that there isn't these huge power swings. Um, and so one party exercising their power to do something that isn't against the rules um, that doesn't isn't really technically done is, is a very clear violation of the spirit of how bipartisan politics should function. And on one hand, it's like, okay, well, you have the ability to elect or not elect Supreme Court justices. And especially if you have the ability to elect them, then you should do so. Like the president should be, that's part of his job. He should do it. The Senate should go through and see if the person's worthy and then confirm them. Um, and then that their problem arises when it's somebody who's against, you're against uh, politically. And so, but there's been plenty of instances in the past where that doesn't occur. And it's like, okay, well, should that always be the case? Because now it's going to be a continual thing, you know, in a year and a half or whatever, um, or I guess a year now, no, in a year and a half, um, the Senate's probably going to switch to Republican. The Congress will probably switch to Republican because it tend, from what I understand, that is not uncommon for it to switch at the midpoint. And then, yeah. you know, one of the old justices is probably going to retire or die because of a few that are in their eighties, I think. And so, like what's going to happen? Is this going to be back and forth every few years when we have a new justice? It's impossible to get someone through unless it, everything's aligned politically, you know. I, and that isn't the spirit of how politics should work because then, like you, you were saying about tribalism, then it's just tribal, right? And then what comes to mind for me is, you know, a couple thousand years of how the Egyptians ruled. Every new pharaoh erased, eviscerated from existence the beliefs and monuments and moved them and hid them and all that of the prior king if they disagreed. You know, all the different gods that they worshipped, you know, I, I forget which which of the, the pharaohs, but um, one of them, there's a few, a few different gods who worshipped uh, um, Ra, the sun god. And in, interspersed between them was other pharaohs who did not revered the sun god they revered a different god so they would just move the um the capital of egypt to a different city and then build new monuments to the god that they believed in which is i think one of many reasons why you have so many different beautiful egyptian cities with all these crazy hieroglyphics and shit is because the pharaohs were like i don't like raw so i'm just gonna leave and we're gonna go to a new place and we're gonna worship my god and then i'm pretty sure one of the pharaohs um was murdered by his son because they had conflicting ideologies about which God to to, uh, um, to worship, or at least the, the father died and then the son like had everything, like all, all the, the hieroglyphics like removed and painted over and stuff with new gods. And so like, that's what this is going to, you know, th that's what I see potentially occurring. And I don't want to commit the slippery slope fallacy here, but um, there, there's, there's, an, you know, there's a parallel there where it's like, Every time there's a new regime in power, it's like, well, what can we do to consolidate the most for us? And then it gets torn down in four years or eight. You know, and it's like I think we're seeing the modern equivalent of that right now. Yeah, and it's like that's, I don't think it's that's potential. Actually, I think it's actual. Yeah. And that's actually not good for average people. You know, Correct. that's not that's not <laughs> that's not good at all. Um, that's the people who get hurt are the average Americans, not the highly wealthy individuals who are in these positions of power and the people who get hurt the most we've said this multiple times are poor minorities 
yep. <laughs> in poor whites as well, but um, but the poor, just in, let's just say the poor in general, you could probably break it down. I, I would imagine that minorities would have it worse off. Poor minorities would have it worse off than poor whites, but it's still just poor individuals and groups in particular. They're the ones who are always the most affected. So it's like you're paying the, playing this power game and neither side is really helping the poor. Um, and I don't know how to solve that problem. I don't know what to do to actually help. Um, but the power games at the top don't actually benefit those at the bottom. And so then you, you're just stuck with this problem. Um, and then it, it makes extreme ideologies much easier to uh, buy into as it does religion i think um i think yeah. that's in part what people buy into religion is because it's a it's a catch-all um to making yourself feel better morally and it blames other people in the case of ideologies usually um, for the problems that you face well yeah and it 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 can help solve the need for certainty yeah. Um, you know, like that Which people article need. you had sent me. Yeah, that was a fantastic article. Um, uh, if you think of it, we can link it in the show notes. But basically saying that the less tolerance a person has for uncertainty, um, the more like Was that uh, politically specific or just to be polarized? Just to be polarized. Just, okay. So the more likely you are to be polarized in your thoughts. Yes. So if if you can't stand the idea of not really knowing how something works, you are much more likely to fall into a more extreme view and uh, you know find yourself in those echo chambers just to make yourself feel better versus if someone is willing to say, I don't understand right now. I don't know exactly how this works, but I want to find out what the truth is, mm -hmm. even though it's uncertain, um, to then be willing to actually uh, go down all of the avenues in search of the correct answer. Um, and I, we, I think we're seeing that in, you know, on display right now with mm -hmm. the uh, uh, country's politics. And having that sense of certainty, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a deep need that we have just as, I think even beyond human beings, just as creatures, you want to think that you understand what's going on versus uh, having your life be all chaotic and you have no answers. Um, that can be, that can be mentally very, very damaging. Um, slight tangent, there was a study done, I want to say it was with monkeys, um, and the idea is they're they're in their cage, and the uh, like the wire grate on the bottom. Some of the wires, or it might have been plates, are stepping on, but they're uh, electrified, right? Um, or we'll say, uh, sake of a good visual example, checkerboard floor, right? Some of the squares are electrified, some are not. And for uh, a group of the monkeys, they figured out which ones were electrified and, and they were doing okay. So they knew which ones to stay away from mm -hmm. and, and they were okay. Separate group, they randomly changed them. So they had no way of really understanding what's going on. Um, and the mental effects on the monkeys was profound. Yes. They would just like be curled up in the corner, uh, 
you know, throwing feces and, and you know, the equivalent of them just going crazy, um, which just points to high levels of uncertainty can be incredibly damaging to a person mentally. So it only makes sense. You're going to flock to something that at least seems to make sense. Uh, I think a lot of people are more interested than an answer rather than the answer. I just need a answer, just something I can believe in so I can check that box off in my mind. This is how that thing works and I can go about the rest of my life. Um, and the more, the more you need to have those boxes checked, the more likely you are to find yourself in these highly polarized groups. Yes. And if you want to talk about uncertainty, hit the planet with a pandemic, you know, wipe out the economy. Yeah. So, you know, all of these things that, that create legitimate and very dangerous uncertainty, of course, are going to drive people to something that claims to have an answer that they can latch on to and feel that they understand. Uh, and, and that's what we're seeing right now. It's, it's counterproductive, to say the least. Understandable, but it's, it's counterproductive to finding actual truth uh, in, in any complex system. Yes, very true. Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy when you think about it sometimes, the, the depth with which our actions and the things that we believe and what, how we believe in them and how we manifest those beliefs how deep biologically those things are because um, what you're yeah. describing is a biological phenomena that i mean obviously it was in the paper you're talking about was reproduced with monkeys but um which we are it's been a, a long string but um, we're evolved from and um it's a biological issue like it's an evolutionary issue that we had to figure out when we were tree-dwelling creatures um, so that we could understand how to survive when we came out of trees. Um, there's a, there's a, a hypothesis or a hypothesis that's proposed by, by a few anthropologists. It's um, not one that's widely considered to be remotely correct, but uh, I'm not entirely sure why. It, it, it's of the things that I've read about this it seems the most plausible to me quite honestly but um and this, the hypothesis postulates that the reason that humans because basically all humans there's like a very small percentage but uh, they don't do this but basically all humans have an innate um fear response to snakes like even young kids will have a who have never seen a snake will have a fear response to snakes Okay. And um, it happens with spiders as well, but I believe it's it's much more pronounced with snakes. And mm -hmm. so the, the 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 evolutionary theory, one of the theory uh, hypotheses about this is because when we were tree dwelling animals and we ventured down to the ground, that's where snakes live. And then you get bit by a snake and you die. And so over a vast period of time, hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, whatever, um, we started to realize where to come down to the ground so that we didn't get bit by snakes because that was the natural predator um for our ancestors you know this is like hundreds of millions of years ago right um sure. and then from that we started to develop what would be like a proto-conscience or a, a, a way to see the future in that we would come down out of the trees 
and then grow from there, you know, learn how to walk a bit, uh, whatever. Um, and then we would learn that if we went down into the ground in this particular place, um, the snake might bite us, we go to another place. And then we'd learn that the snake isn't always in that spot. The snake is in a different spot sometimes. And so we'd figure out where that spot was. And then during this, we're developing a sense of certainty, but it's over a long span of time. Mm -hmm. And then our ancestors started to realize, well, snakes actually go to a certain place and then they come from that place to us to eat us. So if we actually go to that place, we can kill snakes before they get to us, which is in effect seeing the future. You're actually identifying a problem and then solving the problem before it becomes a problem, which is in some sense, it's just how we think as humans, but in another sense, it's actually future prediction. Like I can predict in the future that if I go to a place and stop a problem before it becomes a problem, then it won't become a problem. So if I do that and it doesn't become a problem, I predicted the future because the problem didn't arise. And as we evolved and we learned how to destroy snakes and then as we you know, millions of years went by and we were able to um, stop that from occurring, that fear response of snakes evolved into a fear response of everything else. But the actual deep-seated fear of snakes itself never left. It's a very interesting idea. Um, you can actually go pretty deep with this um, and pair it with the snake in the Garden of Eden, um, which is very interesting to me personally, because um, I, I like trying to tie that shit together. Um, sure, so yeah. in, in that regard, the, the whole story of the Garden of Eden is really just a... Um, a story explaining the birth of consciousness, right? The snake hmm. is in a tree. People have come down, you know, they're standing next to a tree. Um, there's, there's a lot, but I don't want to go off on a tangent on that, but um, it's, yeah, that, 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 that fear uh, uh, is very interesting. And as is the anxiety, right? Is you, you develop anxiety by not knowing things. And as you know them more, you become more settled in your environment. And then you have expansion. Um, your consciousness grows, your ability to understand the land that's around you um, and this, where the safe spots are grows. And so you need to explore a bit and then to find those places and eradicate dangers. Um, and without it, you're super anxious. So it isn't surprising to me that people who are highly anxious and don't like uncertainty would gravitate towards echo chambers because what is an echo chamber? It's a very, very small siloed, that's what we call it an echo chamber, a silo, is because it's a very small group of people in this case who have one idea or five ideas or a small number of ideas, and they don't allow dissenting opinions because dissenting opinions are uncertain or they yep. create uncertainty in the opinions that you do have, which is one of the fundamental problems with religion, right, is that they devolve into that. And then cults basically are that, right, and... um so you see hyper anxious people, people who don't like uncertainty or and those are the type, same types of people who are very prone to anxiety, depression and whatnot as well, um, because of how they see the world, how they uh, perceive it and receive feedback from the world. Um, and then they gravitate towards hyper specific ideologies that are um, very rigid Right, which I always find ironic when it comes to, to the um, polarized ideologies of the left, because the left is supposed to be a very open and non-rigid <laughs> politically yeah. or, or just temperamentally, but they're very rigid in their beliefs. Yes. Which is an odd dichotomy that 
contradiction really that they, yeah. that they that they don't seem to wrestle want to wrestle with and it's like you don't i don't think you get to have both the the right to me it, given the conservative temperament uh, it doesn't shock me as much it, it seems to kind of go hand in hand it's just a um a polarized or a much more um extreme version of that uh that um rigidness but uh yeah the the, le- the left has always baffled me probably in part because i'm I lean temperamentally more left, and so it, it it appeals to me more. And so the the um, the uh, extremism of it, I don't understand as much because it's like I I get leaning left because I I do, but I don't get the extremeness of it because it it just seems to me to be the antithesis of what being temperamentally open is because it's closed. So I don't, well, <laughs> that's yeah, the opposite. And, and so. <laughs> Exactly. In the last year, I think it's officially flip-flopped because the the conversations that, you know, you and I have found just in looking into stuff like this, whether it's CRT or the pandemic or what have you, um, more often than not, the people that are at least willing to entertain um, other ideas fall on the right. And it's the, you know, the extreme left that is so completely closed down to any new information and just by way of asking the question, you're vilifying yourself to the extreme left. Like if you question what they're saying, that officially makes you guilty of whatever the hell it is that they're claiming. Um, Whereas the right, at least from what I've seen, not quite so much. I mean, obviously they're still conservative and they believe what they believe, but they'll at least talk about other ideas uh, rather than just shutting down the communication altogether. And yeah. I think that's a, a fairly new development. It the, is. The, uh, you see the examples. conservatives are less conservative than the far left. Yeah. And you, it's very and strange. You still see instances where that isn't the case. Um, but so for anyone who's listening, who's like, no, the, the, the right is still, you know, very rigid. It's like, that's true. I mean, Liz Cheney's a good example of this. She was stripped of everything because she disagreed and she went against basically was like, I don't like Trump. I didn't vote. I didn't, I shouldn't have voted for him. That kind of thing. I forget exactly what all she said, but she was, I don't like Trump. And then Republicans, she, she just admitted that Biden actually won the election. Yeah. And That's and then it. what happened? She was literally, she was literally stripped of all of her senatorial powers, like all of her committee powers. And so that's an example of what we're talking about that I, I see with the left. And, and so the right definitely does this, but I would say that the fact that the right does this is not a shock to me because temperamentally it makes sense. And that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a huge amount of variance and conservatives are all like this because they're not. It's just that that doesn't shock me. Conservatives don't like change as much. That's temperamentally, that's partly what that means. And so that tends to be rigid. So when they don't want to change things and they don't want to allow stuff in, I'm not shocked by this. Right. Um, people who I, are I'd the like opposite, to my I am point. shocked by. But I, before you before you do, um, I, I, I do think you're correct, though, that you see them entertaining new ideas more, which is interesting. I think it is interesting um, that that occurs because I think you're right. There, there's definitely much more of, um, you know, conservative politicians who are like, I'm more than willing to entertain ideas that I don't agree with. So, yeah, I, I think that. And you bring up an excellent point. So I think it's worth making the distinction between the political strategy 
of either side, but of the conservatives and just the overall um, temperament and conversation that we're seeing right now. Um, I think those are very different. So I, I would argue that temperamentally, the, the average conservative person, civilian, if you will, uh, is willing to at least discuss different ideas. But politically, yeah, you're, you're spot on. It, sure. It's completely rigid. It's, you know, Trump or nothing. So, which is which is a problem, yeah. but it's not a shocking problem to me. Like it, it isn't like this comes up and I'm like, oh, th- what the fuck? This is crazy. What what I think is crazy is when a small but loud faction of the left is like, our ideas are the right ideas. Otherwise, you're every single bad name we could ever think of. And yes. I'm not even being hyperbolic. That's actually what happens. Literally, yeah. what happens. And that's shocking to me coming from the group or the half of the population, let's say, that espouses equality above all things, or equity, but it has to be separated from equality, so it's a separate issue that I don't even want to get into today. Um, So it's like, well, you want equality, or you want equity, which is different, and don't meet the same thing, and is actually really bad, but let's say you say that they're the same thing, and yet you don't want equality of, you don't want equal, you don't want ideas. You don't want dissenting opinions. And it's like that, that that's what's shocking to me. You know, it, it, it that's what baffles my mind is it's like I I don't necessarily like it that conservatives tend to be rigid and don't allow new ideas in. I don't like that. There's some comfort in it sometimes, but I think it goes too far. And that's why we see crazy politics right now. Um, but I'm not shocked by this. This is not something that I, I'm like, oh, what the fuck are they doing? This has never happened before. No, not at all. But when I see the lefties do it, and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, this is the antithesis of what you've stood for for a very long time now, and now you're pulling it off. You're you're saying that it's just something that's normal, and it's like it's not normal. You're actually monopolizing the conversation, which is <laughs> what conservatives temperamentally try and do when it comes to not letting new things in. Like they, you're you're putting a box around what can be said and what can't be. It's like that's wrong. Um, and good for Republicans for listening, though. I think that's a good thing. I, um, I know that Republicans and Democrats, like what they've meant over the last like couple hundred years, has changed over time. Yeah. You know, those. You know, we talked a bit about this, but there, you know, every now and again, it'll get brought up that Democrats are the ones who actually wanted slavery because Democrats of the time were the ones who wanted slavery, and so. Um, What I think may happen is we may see in a couple of years um, the actual goals that Republicans and Democrats have is just going to flip flop again, again. Yeah, Yeah. you know. Well, and the the goal thing is important. I think that and and probably at least a chunk of this can be placed squarely in the lap of uh, Gingrich, but the we'll say the stated goal of politics traditionally has been. Um, effective governance of the people, right? What's best for the most people? Uh, <laughs> Define effective. <laughs> well, yeah, um, but that's, that was that was at least the idea. Yeah. Whereas, you know, post Gingrich, it's just to win. It is just for power, and the tools are you know you'll pay lip service to you know we're going to do these things for you. Uh, we'll say that to their constituents. But it's so clear that it's simply to win and have power. And it's become so um, so apparent recently 
how different the outcomes are when those goals change. Yeah. So it, it then to me that's why it's not shocking to see any of these tactics. No, because no, no, no. yeah, clearly that's just the power play. It's going to fuck a lot of people. And if you were supposed to be uh, participating in effective governance, you wouldn't do that. But we haven't played that game for years. We just got to win. So that changes up everything, really. No, very true. It's um. Well, I mean, we've been railing against this for almost a year now. Like that's this is the problem. I, I do. I will say this. I think that. I think that more and more people are waking up to the problems. Yes. Both yes, on the left and the right. That has been encouraging, actually. Yep. Yeah, yep. both on the left and the right. And I, I think that people are starting to realize that, um, what, what's that phrase? The emperor's not wearing clothes or whatever. Yeah, the emperor has no clothes. Yeah, I, I think that um, that sort of, whatever that's supposed to mean, that's kind of what's starting to happen is that people are starting to realize that um, it isn't simply just that shit's not right. Um, in Denmark, you know, it, 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 they're starting to understand exactly what's wrong um, and slowly piece it together. And through fear, th pushing through the fear of vocalizing themselves, why they think what's wrong is wrong. And then also just talking about it. There's there more and more, the more and more people that do that, kind of like what we're doing, um, the, the less of a the the more people will hear about it which means more of a light will be shined on the problems that we have and the fear will decrease right because three years ago two years ago one year ago you talk about some of the stuff we're talking about and you have a big enough platform or you just do it on twitter and like bad shit happens because it's a dissenting opinion and that still occurs but i think what's happening is that people are like oh well, this is a little crazy and it's starting to peel back to where like, don't people are just giving less fucks about what happens or they're finding better ways to explain what it is that they're trying to say so as to mitigate the fallout, but get their point across. Yeah. And um, which is, that's encouraging to see. Um, you know, maybe we're entering an age of reasonableism. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Um, <laughs> <But> <laughs> it, I've I've now become the optimist. Who would have thought? Right. Well, What's fucking, the date? This, this is fucking sucks. <laughs> but I, um, I I do think I do have a little bit of optimism about that. It, it, it's it's difficult when I see all the craziness, but um, I I think that uh, more and more people are like, wait a minute, you know, this isn't right. We need to, yeah. you know, to, to to speak up about this kind of shit. And I think part of the frustrating thing is that just the uh, the scale of the problem, meaning millions and millions of people, it just takes time. If there's going to be a cultural shift in attitudes, it does take some time. So, you know, while you and I are pulling our hair out going how, you know, this uh, social justice. That's a, that's or whatever, a rude joke. I don't have any hair. <laughs> that's really inappropriate. That's really um, inappropriate. <laughs> and quite frankly, um when I find did I, did I trigger you, Bo? Are you yeah, triggered? I, uh, Tell me about your personal reality. Well, my lived experience, <laughs> your lived experience, yeah, is a great one. I have a very <laughs> soft head, and but I cannot no longer pull hair out. Um, <laughs> and 
uh, he had pulled the last one out. I feel um, very victimized by what you said. <laughs> um, the fact that you and I can have a discussion and and um, come to a realization of what the other person is saying and change how we view things, like, oh, okay, I see things differently now. Um, for that to happen on a cultural level just takes a long time. Yep. So, like, when when wokeness made front and center after George Floyd, it seemed just incredibly obvious, like, okay, this is a bad fucking idea. It's going to take a while for the majority of people to understand that as well. Yeah. So I think there's there's something to be said for having a little bit of patience, but also the persistence to keep seeking for the actual truth. No, very, very true. I think on a... Um we just hit the one year mark for his death. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was yesterday. 25th. Yeah. 25th. Yeah. Um, what a year. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Um, ironically, or not ironically, I should say, sadly, it doesn't seem to me that much has changed. In fact, I think things have gotten a lot worse, um, which is, yeah, because not ironically, but unfortunately. Um, so I don't know what that's going to mean going forward. But again, I think it's just time. It's if yeah. you know most people aren't going to take the time to look into this and really ponder these ideas, like you know you and I have. They're just living their lives. Um, so it's going to take a while for the bad things to manifest. Yeah. Right. Like when you and I. And do the thought experiment to take these things to their logical conclusion and go, holy shit, that's fucked for everybody, particularly the people that they're claiming they're trying to help. Uh, we should be doing something different. Not everybody's going to take the, cause it's, it is a complex topic. Um, we're going to have to start seeing some of those bad things happen, you know, where everybody gets canceled. So then finally we get to the point, like, wait a second. You can't fucking cancel everybody. Something's weird here. This yep. doesn't make sense. Uh, and I think we're starting to get some of that, you know, where surprising people get canceled for ridiculous reasons. And it's realizing that we got sold a bill of goods, you know, this social justice. Mm, that's not what this is really about. And, and as that becomes more and more apparent, then I think that's going to that'll be where we see the most people quote unquote, waking up. Yeah. I don't think social justice is social or justice oriented. I think it's tyrannical power oriented. Agreed. But. All right. I have to jump off. Okay. Nope. We are at 101. Cool. Works Thank you. And my bladder. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 40. We have to jump off so that Dan can go pee. We hope you have a good <laughs> rest of the uh, morning, afternoon, or evening. <laughs> See ya. Take care, everybody. <laughs>